morning. Andy Griffin with you nine minutes after nine o'clock on News Radio 949890 KDXU. So glad you've joined me today. This is the Andy Griffin Show. And I've got Dr. Dave Blodgett, one of my favorite guests, although I'm not going to lie, he provided a little bit of stress for me this morning. <laughs> uh, Dr. Blodgett got a, caught up in a little construction traffic on I-15 and uh, just got here. Yeah. yeah but I'm glad you're close. here. I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here, too. <clears throat> Dr. Blodgett is the uh, director of the Southwest Utah Public Health Department and uh an all-around smart guy. Like I said, one of my favorite guests. I, I look forward to you coming every month because you always enlighten me, and I love that. Well, thank you. Huh? I, I love, to, love to be enlightened. Um, obviously, some, some health topics uh, on the line. What, one of the things I wanted to talk about was that with the heat coming in St. George, some of the things that we need to be aware of uh, as citizens of, of southern Utah, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, it is Men's Health Month. We can talk about yeah. that a, a little bit, and uh, some so, for some reason, some of us men don't really want to uh, want to see a doctor. Yeah, don't want to be healthy. That's exactly right, and that becomes a problem. <laughs> and then uh, the measles outbreak. We're up to almost a thousand people now nationwide with right. uh, with the measles. Uh, it's it's mind boggling to me that this disease that was declared eradicated just not that long ago is making a comeback. Yeah, yeah and it. And it's interesting what's happened as a result of that, you know, the discussions that are going on. And um, I think a lot of people have thought it doesn't really matter whether people get vaccinated or not. But this is obviously showing that um, it does it does matter. And, and that's something we've been talking about for a long time. So Yeah, it seems like every month when you come on, we do talk about it. And, and I'm a big uh, proponent of uh, vaccinations. And, and uh, I know you are, too. And we have science behind us. And a lot of people say, oh, I've got this theory and this theory and this theory. But I really, I really think we need to understand that we have deadly diseases that have been nearly wiped from the face of the earth that people aren't getting vaccinated for that are going to bring these things back. Exactly. And they're still out there and they still will. Measles, well, tell me when we want to talk about measles. No, go ahead. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> And part of the, part of the, what's interesting about measles is it's so easy to transmit. It, it it's truly airborne. You mm -hmm. cough cough out the particles. It hangs in the air. Very mm. few particles, if you inhale them, make you sick. And so it spreads very rapidly in anybody that's not vaccinated. So it's it's been very difficult to contain. So from a public health standpoint, it's really. Uh, once it's there and you have cases and you start to try and figure out how do we contain this thing, there's just not a ton you can do because mm -hmm. it's vaccination. Vaccination is what keeps it out. So the, the people forget that for some, measles was a, a childhood illness that you, they just went through. But for a significant portion of those, there are really significant complications that can happen because of measles. One in a thousand died, um, mm. two to five in a thousand had really significant complications, deafness, things like that. And so it's, while it isn't the worst killer in the history of mankind, it is a very significant disease that if you don't have to have, you don't want, you don't want to. And so now we've, you're right, we've got this large outbreak that's happening almost entirely in communities that haven't been vaccinated because the vaccine is so effective with measles that if you've been vaccinated, you just don't have the possibility of getting measles. And so, 
So it is. It's tragic that we have to have these discussions. Let's clear some things up as far as uh, uh, if we still need one. Uh, say you were born. I know there were some numbers out about when you were born and, and what vaccinations you've had. If uh, if I'm an adult who has been at, at some point in my life vaccinated for it, do I need to worry about a booster? Is that something I should think about? No, no. no. If you've been vaccinated, you're just fine. Yeah. Okay. So there was a, a brief period of time in the 60s where they gave one shot with a, a live vaccine, and, and those are proving to be just fine as well. There, there are certain, certain circumstances where maybe you could get a second one, but, but certainly if you had the measles, you know, born before 1957, those people that had the measles, mm-hmm. or if you've had the two-shot series, um, you're, you're good to go. You don't okay. have to worry about it. And we've had a lot of people wondering that coming into the health yeah. department saying, oh, give me another one. But so we've got the kind of both extremes, people that want more than they need mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and people that don't want to get any. And and the truth is, once you're appropriately vaccinated for measles, you're you have good immunity and uh, no, no need to worry about that. What, what year did the measles vaccine really take hold and everybody started getting them? In the 50, late 50s. Late so, 50s? Yeah. So if I was, uh, what, what if I never had one and, and I never had measles? Is that something I, you know, say I was born in, in 48, I never never got measles, never got the vaccine. So it's interesting. Um, measles was so ubiquitous that they still consider you as having had measles. <laughs> so, Even if you didn't. So maybe you don't remember it. Right? Oh, all oh, right. But anybody born before 1957, they say, you know what? Now, there are tests where you can go in and get confirmed that you have immunity. It's called a serology, but um, sometimes that costs as much as getting the vaccination. So, uh, But in, in the rules, if you were born before 1957, we just say yeah you got you got exposed to measles sometime hmm. that's interesting <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean if it works it works right? yeah yeah so far i mean it's been a good a good guide and as that as those people get older and older you know we'll we'll see we'll see that recommendation go away but um so not there. not just measles but uh, any disease you hear the phrase well I, I i don't get it but i carry it is that is that a possibility is that does that make sense not with measles. Okay. I mean, it certainly does happen with, with other diseases. You know, every that's one of the fascinating things about my job. Every disease has a different way mm. that it manifests and the way really? it presents. And, and, and they probably even mutate or change a little yes, over time, too. Yes, they absolutely do. Measles has been remarkably stable, and so immunity that develops once in a lifetime is actually good for a lifetime. That's a pretty rare thing. <laughs> yeah. A lot of diseases change over time. You know, we talk about how much flu changes every year. You know, mm-hmm. and so. Um, but measles uh, is just one of those diseases that we just don't need to have around. <clears throat> six seven three five eight nine zero is the phone number uh, uh, for the show today. Six seven three five eight ninety. I'm Andy Griffin. I'm on with Doctor Dave Blodgett from the Southwest Utah Public Health Department. The doctor drove down from Cedar City to be with us today. I appreciate that. I know. Uh, Tis the season for road construction. It really is. So. It's out there, and and uh, safe driving. I think is one of those things to be mindful of. I the statistics are alarming. How many people are driving distracted texting yes. while they drive yes. you know i mean yes. the, the legislatures made it you know pretty high penalties for texting but people still do it and then tragic when you're distracted texting while you're driving and you you hurt somebody or kill somebody um yeah we not not, not, needed, not we, needed we had a, a 
show about that, and I made the commitment not to touch my phone while I'm driving, and I've been doing really well on that, and I want to I want to keep it up. Yeah. I, I I don't say I don't touch it, but it, say it buzzes in my pocket, I'll just hand it over to my wife. I won't even look at it. So doing doing much better than yeah. than I had in the past. I I I don't think it's a message we can hear too often to remind us. Look, it's we're so tied to our phones and we don't want to miss that message. And there's this expectation that once somebody sends you a text, you know, you're going to get right back to them. But I don't know. I, I Does guess five I'm minutes a, really I, matter? I guess I'm a little old fashioned. Yeah. I remember when, if you returned a call within a day or two, you know, that was pretty prompt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, good point. So yeah. much, so much less 10 minutes or something while you're getting somewhere in the car. So, so something happened yesterday, actually up in Cedar city, uh, that, that, Got me thinking it might be something interesting to talk about on the show today. There was a mountain lion or a cougar uh, in, that somebody had captured on their motion sensor cameras in their backyard. Uh, a little while later, they found a mountain lion dead in the median that had been hit by a car uh, by, by exit 56. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you're in charge of public health. Are there things to worry about? Maybe we don't talk in so much about, you know, an animal attack, but what about animal diseases? And, you know, when, when humans interact with animals, there's got to be a few things to worry yeah, about. Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting topic that uh, – thank you for that, that cue. I, we – here's the general principle Mm -hmm. if it's a wild animal that you normally would not be able to catch (laughs) most wild animals and you can catch it there's probably a reason and you don't want to know what that reason is (laughs) so let me me illustrate there are several diseases that are fairly unique to southern utah that animals are infected with here that uh, are of big concern one of them is uh, the plague as in wow. the bubonic plague the, the of, big one. Yeah. of the Middle Ages that killed you know millions of people. It still exists um, in the small rodents in the southwestern United States, here in this area. The prairie dogs, particularly in southern Utah, every year we have a colony or two collapse because they get the plague. And so if you're out and you, can, you see some prairie dogs that are not acting quite right and you can have a chance at catching them, that's that a very bad idea. Don't do it because uh, you wouldn't normally be able to catch them if they're healthy. So you're saying right. you're probably not a healthy uh, prairie dog or cougar or whatever it might be. Yeah, so the only death that we've had from plague in our area uh, since I've been health officer here was uh, about eight or nine years ago. Um, Somebody found a dead cougar. They 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 dissected it. They were going to stuff it, and uh, turned out the prairie dog. They the, the cougar had eaten something that had plague. So the cougar had plague, and this guy got plague and died. Really? So wow. Mom, so you just ma- never think of things like that. Mama always said, "Don't touch wild animals." Right? <laughs> That's and, right. and there is there is an actual really uh, a reason for doing that. That's that's shocking. Actually, yeah. to think a guy. Because, you know, I mean, taxidermists, people people stuff animals all the time. Guys clean deer when, they, when they're out hunting and things like that. And this guy, all he was doing was cleaning, yeah. cleaning the mountain line. Just cleaning the mountain line he found. And so there are other diseases, too, uh, to worry about. Um, tularemia is one, undulating fever. Tularemia? Tularemia. Tularemia. T-U-L. Okay. Um, and it, uh, so... Plague and tularemia are both listed as potential uh, uh, terrorist weapon, uh, bioterrorism weapons. Wow. So uh, 
because the CDC recognizes they have this potential for easy spread and that they're fairly deadly once you get them, tularemia itself is fairly treatable with antibiotics but uh, causes a, an undulating fever that looks a lot like malaria or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see four or five cases of tularemia come through on a periodic basis because it, it goes periodically through the rabbit population. And so we'll see it'll come through and start, you know, once the rabbit population gets up to a certain level, it goes through cycles, and it's related to tularemia. Really? And so when they hit high population levels and you have interaction between people and, and the rabbits, uh, you end up with tularemia cases. So... I had a, 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 when I lived over by Turner Turf Farm in, in Washington City, we had, at any one time you look in my backyard, we had two to three rabbits in our backyard, uh, not to mention the gophers digging holes. Yeah. So that's a whole other story <laughs> altogether. But uh, so a, another situation where, you know, probably stay away from those wild yeah, animals. I mean, they're great to look at and they're fun to have around and things like that, but just don't handle them. Uh, <laughs> um, so there's, there's two fairly significant ones. We have uh, um, the, the common one, most common one we think of is that bats in southern Utah can have uh, rabies. rabies yeah. So we haven't ever, not in my time and not in recent history, have there's different strains of rabies that primarily infect okay. different types of animals. And so we have a predominant bat strain here. But um, someday we'll get a dog strain or, you know, canine strain that is in the family there was there have been a couple of foxes identified you know just coming over the border uh, so, so someday those will hit and uh, there's also a raccoon strain that mm. tends to spread when hunters bring raccoons to an area and then you know they bring in infected animals so but if, you, if bats are the issue for us and if so the same rule applies if they're out in the daytime they, you see them, they're not acting appropriately. Generally a very bad idea to handle a bat. And, and I, I guess for, all, any, for any animal that you think might have rabies, one, 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 one issue that I think is important to remember is if you can keep that bat or that animal uh, so that we can um, appropriately get it tested, then it's a lot better for you than if you have an interaction with an animal and then it's gone, then we have to start prophylactic uh, vaccinations on you <laughs> and that's a lot worse than if we can test it and say no you're fine you know yeah. and no so that it's a four shot series for rabies uh, somewhere in the order of 500 to 750 dollars per shot uh, you have to go to the er to get them uh, four shots over a 30-day period so not pleasant it's not like the old ones where you had to get them in the stomach and it was really a, unpleasant but it's still you got to get uh, IG injections around the site if there's a bite, and those mm-hmm. you know, they call them peanut butter shots for a reason. And so, uh, peanut butter shots in your fingers not a good idea. So it's just not peanut butter meaning they're really thick. They're really thick. Yeah, yeah it feels like peanut butter. Oh, um, so so let me give you an illustrative story, and then okay, we, yeah. love <laughs> so to hear it. We had a a gal who was out uh, running with her dog along the path and she looked up on the on the right side of the path there was a bat flopping around there and she said oh no i don't want my dog to get the bats so she ran up and grabbed the bat oh. <laughs> herself and, uh, and and bought and so that that was a rabid bat and uh, she ended up with four shots and um, so 
just be aware. Three thousand dollars later, yeah. and animals avoid humans for a reason. If, if they're not, then there's probably another reason why that happens. So, hmm. um, there are other animal-associated infections that we worry about. Um, I don't know if I'll get them all just right off the top of my head, but one uh, we have in this area a disease called hantavirus. Mm-hmm. Heard of that one? Hantavirus is very similar to Ebola, which was, you know, the universal freakout, you know, <laughs> five or six years ago. Right. And uh, but it has very similar symptoms, very similar etiology. It's in the class of diseases called the viral hemorrhagic fevers. That's also listed as a potential bioterrorism agent by the CDC, and so uh, very high fatality rates for people to get hantavirus. It's largely spread uh, from the mouse droppings of a deer mouse. And so you you show up in your cabin, there's a bunch of droppings, and you're cleaning it up. Uh, you know, there's recommendations uh, on our website and others about how to deal with that, but largely you need to wet it down with bleach so that you not don't have a lot, bunch of dust and, and uh, infectious material coming off those deer droppings. So it, part of the problem in talking about diseases and animals is you start to get the impression that all animals have disease, and that's just obviously not true. It's, right. it's fairly rare, but it does happen, right? And so you talk about what to do, and I don't want people to live in fear, but it's it's also true that uh, you've got to keep it in the back of your mind. So Rule of thumb, if it's a wild animal, don't touch it, and especially if it's a wild animal that normally could get away from you and is not. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly de- right. definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, all right, th- th- that's a great topic. I, I think it's uh, interesting and fun to talk about. I, I would, I actually was really stunned when you said someone died from uh, from uh, cleaning a, yeah. a, an animal, uh, found a dead cougar, and uh, actually passed away. Was that in St. George or Cedar City or? Uh, that was. Uh, it was. A, he was. He was actually a park ranger out of Cedar City. So, oh. um, stunning a long time is. Ago. is at 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 one po- at what point does I mean did he get sick immediately does it did it uh, yeah the generally the incubation period for plague is is fairly long um, hmm. fourteen days ten to fourteen days so so he probably didn't even associate it temporally himself with this idea but uh, once he got sick I think they went in they found that he'd been dealing with this this. Um, dead cougar. They probably got it tested and found out. Yeah, that's what's going on. Wow, so, scary stuff. Whew. So, the primary method of transmission of plague is fleas, right? So they're on oh, the okay. rodent of whatever sort it is. That's their primary host. Once that once that animal dies, though, they're looking for a new host. And uh, so, if you happen to be there when the animal's sick enough that the fleas jump and ship they'll they'll use you as their source for yeah. blood and warmth and all of the things that they get out of their host and so that's uh it's the fleas that you watch for but generally prairie dogs and wild rodents there's always fleas around too so. you've made reference a couple of times to uh, uh diseases that are listed under the bioterrorism from the cdc and yeah. um that, that actually kind of makes me curious it, you know is that, is that something that I mean, everyday person, I mean, we had the, you know, the threat of nuclear war kind of went away. It's not completely gone, but the Cold War ended. Uh, and, and there's certainly plenty of things to worry about here in southern Utah with drought, although not this year, yeah, and, and, and this things year. like that. But uh, bioterrorism is not something that 
your average person even thinks about. I guess you, as as a, you know, in your position, have to think about it. But is that something that that is even a possibility in this day and age? Sure. Oh yeah. In fact, there's very good evidence that um, anybody that really has aggressive uh, tendencies towards other groups, they almost always are researching the possibility of bioterrorism agents. Wow. So they've found that ISIS and all of those, or ISIL, whichever one you want to, however you want to label them, those kinds of radical groups that are out there trying to take over swaths of other people's territory, they're almost always looking into what, how can we do this bioterrorism stuff. Bioterrorism is an ancient, uh, ancient part of warfare. You know, they hmm. used to do, they used to do things like get sick people and 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 mount them onto a catapult and then throw them over the walls into oh, wow. the people that were being sieged. And uh, you know, you have blankets that are infested with a disease and you give them to people or you poison wells or things you know there's right. just there's just ways you know warfare is nasty and um and people have done some pretty unconscionable things the the research into bioterrorism kinds of events uh in world war ii was extensive and uh and it's very clear that, like, the Soviet Union had a, an entire chemical and biological warfare unit that uh, did some pretty scary research on how do you combine something that's as easy to transmit as as a cold with something that's as scary as something like anthrax. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I guess it's not we don't have to worry about not just uh, hijacked airplanes or weapons or, or things yeah. like that when, when they have access and, and do they have access to the, the ability to produce well, some of that? Well, no, or? or else they'd use it, right? Yeah. They just want it. And so the mm. question is, is there that kind of, you know, there was people that could get that kind of technology to, to start to do that. All right, we're it's with, a scary thought. I guess we'll talk about it after the break. We're <laughs> with Dr. Dave Blodgett, Southwest Utah Public Health Department. Uh, again, thanks so much to Dr. Blodgett for coming on the show. We'll be back with more from Dr. Blodgett. Uh, first of all, let's uh, t- step aside for some weather. Welcome back to the show. Andy Griffin with you live with uh, Dr. Dave Blodgett. Dr. Blodgett is uh, a guest once a month. Actually, if you want to calendar it, it is, uh, what is it, the uh, first Wednesday of every month, right? Yeah, I got yes. that, yeah. And uh, actually, I'd like to have Dr. Blodgett on once a week, but I don't know that that's realistic for, for either of us. But, we'll uh, have to talk about it. We appreciate you uh, coming in. Always interesting stuff. We were talking a little bit about uh, bioterrorism, and you said something to me. I don't know if you want me to say this, but you said to me, it's probably coming somewhere down the road. Well... Let me, let me clarify it. There, there will be infectious disease events all the time. So whether it's man, natural or man-made, we're going to see these things. Right? Mm. So, not we don't want to scare anybody. Yeah, but flu pandemics happen every thirty years, um, yeah. and uh, we we see these cycles of tularemia and plague and uh, anthrax is in almost all soil in the United States. So we see those anthrax cases. So the question is. And, and what we try to prepare for is what happens if somebody figures out a way to weaponize some of these things and then release it on a large scale. And that would cause exactly what those kind of people want. Terror, you know, some sort of legitimacy in their own mind of their cause. It's yeah. really a sick thought process. And, and, and so infectious diseases present a different kind of emergency preparedness kind of angle because if, if everybody's sick – 
you can't devote resources from one area to another area because they're dealing with their own right. crisis, right? And so it becomes your community taking care of itself, uh, trying to get through the, the process. So uh, history has its examples of when this has happened, 1918 pandemic influenza and things like that, where you realize, boy, as a community, we need to, to know each other and be willing to help each other and <laughs> Put plans together, which is part of what public health does, is with the rest of the community. We have a, a, a really a nice community of cooperation uh, between agencies, and I, I think we're as prepared as any part of the United States for something like this to happen. But regardless, um, it's it's this specter that I, I I think about, and and we prepare for as diligently as we can. So. Do you feel some like sometimes like you're out there on an island that you're worrying about stuff that no one else in this area is worrying yeah. about? Well, that's my job. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it, it is. But it is also something to be, you know, this idea of being prepared for whatever comes is is really important. So we, part of what we talk about is personal preparedness, having enough food and water and necessities to be able to make it on your own for 72 hours or more. More is better. Um but every time we ask the question, do you have enough food and water and medications and things that you could last for 72 hours without any contact with anybody? And uh, most people say no. Mm-hmm. You know, that right before 9-11, somebody did that study. And about 16% said, yep, we're ready to go. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, there were millions of dollars poured into the idea of people being ready with their 72-hour kits. Uh, about 10 years later, guess what percentage said? Yeah, we can do I'm that. I'm thinking 16. About 16%. Yeah. You know, one, so, one in six. Mm. So you know, we, we hear the message and think, oh, yeah, that's something I'm going to do, and we just never do it. And so how prepared are we as a society for something like that? I, I think we've we've had so, so much easy access to food, and, and we just have lost the idea that sometimes you got to have something put aside to get you through to the next day. Well, yeah, and, and I think even especially as we, we are out here on what is kind of the frontier, you know, out in the West, they're like, well, if, if there was something like that, it'd be in New York City or it'd be Washington, right. D.C. or even Los Angeles. It wouldn't be in little old St. George, Utah. Yeah, yeah. I always I always think about Vegas. Vegas is a big target, right? True, and, true. Um, and so then we got that big freeway pumping everybody right up into our community. I, we, it just behooves us to be ready. Be ready. All right. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Seth, you're on with Dr. Blodgett and Andy. How are you this morning? I don't want you to become irritated, uh, but I have a little knock-knock joke for the uh, doctor. Knock-knock, oh. uh, doctor. <laughs> Who's there? Uh, in a... In a who? Opened the window and influenza. Yeah. Okay. I, I've heard that one actually. Yeah, yeah. Flu yes, I've told it to you over and over. Um, <laughs> I spent my childhood at sixteen studying chemical nuke and biological weapons in the U.S. Army, and I want to assure Andy that the threat of bioterrorism is huge. So, Doctor Blodgett is not the only person in Washington County who's concerned about bubonic plague and anthrax and all of those things because I happen to know firsthand that uh, uh, it is one of the chosen ways to destroy a population 
and I have paper newspaper clippings from my hometown in Pittsburgh where they were commissioning young men, 18 to 25, with a horse and a saddle and a gun and a wage to deliver blankets from uh, uh, tuberculosis and, and uh, uh, other infectious disease to the Native Americans across the country. Wow. wow. And so this is not just an idle threat. And I, I'm going to go one step further I saw on Fox and various news reports on Drudge where they uh, caught 100 or more immigrants uh, coming across the border from the Congo. Really? And, of course, the Congo is one of the places where Ebola lives. And I think it's only there are thousands of people a day coming through our borders, and I happen to know firsthand that uh, when you come into this country, Ellis Island and the like, you were automatically placed into a two-week quarantine and carefully scrutinized, but today we don't do any of that, and uh, I find it highly offensive that we would import diseases that come with uh, migrants that are not going through the immigration system, requiring doctor certifications. And I, uh, uh, if Ellis Island wasn't my grandfather's and my my uh, uh, family all came through Ellis Island, and they didn't seem to mind to be in quarantine for a couple of weeks, so they could come to this country. But now we don't do that. We uh, just sort of uh, turn our uh, blind eye to millions of people entering our country without any precautions. And with the freeways and with airline travel, we can have a pandemic in a heartbeat. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I mean... uh... I have to confess that it's absolutely true. <laughs> you, we, um, we, the, 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 the free-flowing traffic abilities of the modern world with airplanes going all over the world every day creates the scenario in which a new disease could crop up anywhere in the world and be virtually around the world in days. And uh, so so how do you create an effective surveillance infrastructure around that it's i don't think it's there we have the beginnings of some of those things and we have have um you know the ability to know pretty rapidly when diseases do crop up well, we but, used uh, to be a whole lot smarter but i think we've been dumbed down uh, if my grandparents were subjected to this kind of scrutiny i see no reason whatsoever that we have ironclad immigration policies. And and can you imagine the people coming here and causing our population to be destroyed? And, and during the studies I went through, out of the three, chemical, nuke, and biological weapons, biology, biological weapon was number one thing to be concerned about compared to the other two, which are minor in comparison. 
Hmm. Absolutely. They sound, so that's they his sound number scary. one. And so at least, Dr. Blight, call me anytime, uh, doctor, on the phone, and we can visit and commiserate. Sure. <laughs> yes. And, I appreciate and, that. And the two of us. <laughs> and, uh, and then maybe we could invite Andy, and, and we could teach him some of this, huh? Uh, if, you serve, if you serve a duck egg uh, omelet, I'll come. Now, wait a minute. I, I, I just I couldn't call earlier because I was on the road to Enterprise bringing a dozen ducklings so I could have some more eggs for Andy to enjoy. Very, very nice. In fact, my daughter made chocolate cake with your duck eggs on Sunday, and it was delicious. No, my see, see, they, they puff <laughs> up. They taste better, too. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Seth, thank you for the call today. Appreciate it. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Dr. Blodgett, uh, we do want to talk. There's a couple other things I wanted to get to. Um, first of all, thank you for you and Seth for worrying about these these types <laughs> of things so that the, most of us don't have to worry about it. We, we do, but I'm being a little bit facetious. But uh, thank you for your efforts, and, and, uh, and uh, obviously it's your job. I mean, you're the Southwest uh, Utah public health guy, you know, and, and you have to worry about that stuff. Well, and... You know, we've said this before. One of the one of the problems public health has is nobody appreciates us until what we're doing doesn't work, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So the fact that we haven't had some of these things happen because we've been on it is is great, right? And, yeah. And it, we were supposed to function in the background and keep keep things away from people, but but I I think it's an interesting. It's the it's an it's it's something to be vigilant about in a society that uh, you know infectious diseases are have have, have tailored history many many times mm-hmm. and a lot of if you look at what happened as rome started to fall there were a number of infectious disease events smallpox but particularly that went through and absolutely devastated their civilization and that's what you know you can't maintain once you've been infected with that kind of an outbreak so um but yes, there are some other things that we probably should talk about. Yeah, let's as well, so. let's talk let's talk about a minute a minute about men's health. Um, I'm not a typical guy in that I'm not worried. I'm not afraid to go to the doctor. In fact, I've had some health issues, obviously back surgeries and things like that. I have a, a hypothyroidism, and and so I I take a thyroid pill. I have to go in every six months and and get my T what are T one T two two T three, all those things checked and stuff. But, uh, there are a lot of guys out there who have not been to a doctor in uh, half a decade, a decade, yeah. maybe their whole life since they were a child. Uh, what can we do about well, that kind of thing? So, so there, there isn't a, a hook that gets you to go to the doctor, you right. know, and, and men don't want to go to the doctor. No, we so, don't. So we end up, staying away from the doctor for far too long when there's some really basic screening tests that can really find that you're on the path towards really bad things happening at an early stage so that they can be corrected but instead of waiting for them to be in a late stage which is kind of what happened to me and then it's too late i waited too long and then i got problems yeah yeah cancer at stage one is probably 90 percent preventable at stage three it's probably 50 or 60 and uh stage four 10 or 15 you know and depending yeah. on the cancer but um but that's the idea is if you can catch it upstream it's prevention right you're a lot better than than waiting for the the big event to come particularly with diabetes which is something i want to talk about the earlier you catch it the less uh, impact it has on your future health and the more ability you have to control and do, do things deal with that so 
you know, we, we've talked a lot about diabetes, and it's something that our we're really trying to begin to address at the health department and in other activities. And yeah, some very interesting things, the data coming out about diabetes that they've now quantified that that six percent of the Chinese have diabetes now. They wow, they're they for some reason get diabetes at a lower body mass they're not just not used to eating a western diet so as they adopted the western diet they get it much more readily and uh and they don't have the infrastructure to treat it right they don't have the medical system and so they end up dying from diabetes at very very high rates so four, four times more likely to die from diabetes than somebody here in the united states so wow. so they have this huge epidemic going on five percent of of uh, Southeast Asians now have it in some countries like Korea it's as high as 30% of the population uh, they estimate there's 240 million people in China alone with diabetes so, I, I was going to say if we do the do the math on 6% <laughs> and how many billion Chinese there are that's a, that's a lot of people that's a lot of people to try and deal with so this is not how many million did you say about 240 million and the US has what we have Less, about, about 300 million. Yeah, so. so that's almost the entire population of the United States, Chinese right. people who have diabetes. Right, exactly. Wow. And so this is something that, as a world, <laughs> is is going to significantly alter what we're able to accomplish as, as people, as humans. And, uh, and it's a devastating disease to have. So here in the United States, somewhere in the order of 10% have it. But another 30% are pre-diabetic, have that risk. And if you can find out if you're pre-diabetic and begin to take some basic steps, there's a lot you can do to stop that uh, very serious and very very life-debilitating disease from happening to you. So so we, we've got our, our program online on our website where you can go through and get you know some basic education, uh, diabetes university if you want to call it that. And then mm-hmm. we have, we have in, in-person classes uh, once a week that we that are are listed there and we also have and that's kind of what i wanted to get to plug here is a monthly diabetes town hall forum where you can come in uh, we've got doctors there and people that are experts in the field of diabetes you can come in and ask you whatever questions you want to ask we have you know we'll stimulate some discussion and some ideas on how you could do it be a little bit of a therapy group you know do, yeah. do a little bit of testifying well, support about what it yeah. takes to get there you know and it's really a fun thing. We've had our first one. It was a success. Probably had 60, 70 people there. Nice. We hope to continue this way. But that's going to be um, every uh, second uh, Wednesday at 6 p.m. So, so a week from tonight. Right. Next Thursday. Thursday. I'm sorry. Every second Thursday. Thursday. I apologize. Wednesday, I have a different meeting every second Wednesday. <laughs> so every second Thursday, 6 p.m., so a week from tomorrow. And that will be at the Southwest Pub- uh, Utah Public Health Department? Health Department. Uh, on the second floor, we have a, a nice conference room there where we all can meet. And uh, we promise to make it uh, lively but also informative and something that you'll want to come to every month just to you know catch up and, and reiterate and refocus on what you want, need to be doing for, you know, your lifestyle changes and those kind of things so there will be no chocolate cake at the meeting no chocolate cake uh, but uh <laughs> not funny but, i know but, <laughs> a little bit funny it is a little bit funny. a little bit you know you know often though when you do go to those things they do have stuff like that you just never know but um, probably not for this meeting this will be this this will be your resource for getting 
acquainted and, and tying into people that are doing what you're trying to do in helping control your diabetes or pre-diabetes. So please, please come. Okay, so a week from tomorrow night at the health department here in St. George. Tomorrow night, health department. And 6 o'clock? 6 p.m. Okay. Second floor. And uh, you got, uh, Mike McGarry got involved with the last yeah, one. Yeah, Mike McGarry came. He told his story about how he's uh, lost weight and gotten off of diabetes medications. So we'll have a, a success story each time. Somebody will tell their experience with diabetes. And uh, um, we'll probably have you come some one of these times. Yes. And, and uh, so you can share your story. And uh, But uh, there are people that are successfully learning how to deal with life with diabetes or successfully stop the transition to diabetes and we we want to take inspiration from those stories as well all right that's uh, we've got another break we need to get in here i'm talking with dr dave blodgett from the southwest utah public health department and uh, let's see i was going to go to oh i remembered we're going to talk about joe shoney a little bit joe shoney's a local loan officer uh, focusing on customer service he'll handle just about any kind of loan you can think of and he'll do it uh, with you in mind listen to some of these reviews online for joe shoney uh, this is susan from layton utah all the way up in northern utah she said i was kept informed of everything as the loan progressed short review but uh, very telling michael this is michael from Las Vegas. He said, always full of information and works great to help the customer. Wish uh, more people were like him and his staff. How do you get a hold of Joe? The phone number is 435-590-6300. That's 590-6300. Or you can email Joe at joe.shoney. That's Shoney with a C S C H O N E Y at nafinc.com. We'll be right back. We are running out of time. Only about uh, three or four minutes left in the show. I've got Dr. Dave Blodgett from the Southwest Utah Public Health Department. And uh, Dr. Blodgett comes down from Cedar City once a month to spend some time with us. Thank you again, doctor, for being here. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. We, uh, we were talking about some things. We, we talked about measles a little bit. We talked about which kind of segued into uh, diseases as weapons. Uh, we talked about men's, uh, men's health. It is Men's Health Month, something that uh, yeah. us, a lot of us guys don't do a very good job of taking care of ourselves. Well, and I don't think we've summarized the the thing that we should do there, and that is I, this, the recommendation is still a yearly physical with your doc and, and be aware of the screenings that are recommended at what age. So 50 is when you start uh, doing colonoscopy. Colonoscopy, yes. I, like I had mine at 50, and uh, the doctor said I was the picture of colonic health. Well, see, there that you go. makes but me that... feel really good. <laughs> I, it's remarkable that colonoscopy is one of the few things that we can do in medicine or anything else in life that's not only diagnostic but preventive. You know, they right. cut those polyps out and you don't yeah. have to worry about them and give you a, a sense for what your timeline is for the next time. And you really, if you're if you're if it's clean, you only have to do two in a lifetime. So you might as well get in and do it and get it over with. <laughs> and it's not the the actual colonoscopy is not an unpleasant experience. I was actually asleep when they did it. The only bad part about getting a colonoscopy is drinking that stuff yeah. at 6 in the morning uh, as you f- finish cleaning yourself out. That was one of the most uh, – uh, uh, well, it was a difficult experience. Let me, let me put it that way. I tried flavoring it. I tried different things. But when it's 6 in the morning and you still have to drink, I think it's like you still have a half gallon or something yeah. you've got to get down that morning. That was tough. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Clean, get, getting, the colon, getting the prep is, is the hard part. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it was worth it. Like I said, I came away feeling pretty darn good about things. And it's and it's totally diagnostic. So they they take a look all the way through, and you're you're done. You know. So and, and at least we don't have to have a mammogram. Yes. Right. 
Because my wife has complained many times about the pain involved with the mammogram. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and so, man, there's a lot of topics with men's health that, that you can be informed about and, and should look into, you know, whether or not to screen for prostate cancer and things like that. It's not as clear as just going and doing it. It's There's actually a lot of expert evidence that you probably you know shouldn't unless it's recommended by your doctor and you talk about it with him so so uh, the basic screenings blood pressure um diabetes uh, mm-hmm. kind of metabolic kinds of things bmi uh, colonoscopy those are the things you want to make sure you're up on and lots of websites and lots of resources available to do that including ours at swhealth.org so uh just put it on the radar screen for men that um if you haven't been into the dock for a while, it's probably a good idea just to get checked out to make sure you're you're not not brewing something that would get worse down the road if you didn't know about it. I know nobody wants to get a prostate exam, but <laughs> it, it, it'll save your life, or it very well could save your life, guys. Absolutely. So go do it. Uh, we only have like a minute left. I want to talk about the heat that's coming. It's I mean, we're in the high 90s for the next yeah, couple of days. Uh, what are some of the things that we really need to make sure we're doing as this as this heat hits? Hydrating. Being lots of water six to eight glasses a day make sure you're stay out of the heat in the, in the heat of the day and do your work outside in the cools of the morning and the evening and don't leave your kids in the car every year somebody oh. dies in southern utah from a kid that gets left in the car and don't don't have to experience that in your family that's just absolutely oh. brutal be aware of what it looks like to have heat exhaustion or heat stroke when you start to get a little confused or you're a little lightheaded or flushing or feeling really warm uh, that's the time to get in the shade, get out of the heat, and uh, tank up on the water. That's the ultimate solution. Thank you, Doc. Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask you. There's a story today about a couple that died in Fiji. From Right now they're calling it a mystery illness, don't know what it is. Maybe that's something we can talk about next time you're on the show. Yeah. So and, and I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to do a little research on that. Okay. All thank right. you. Doctor, thank you. Dr. Dave Lodgett, always a great job and always fun having you on the show. Uh, sure, great to have you th- to be here. Thank you for letting me come. <clears throat> Good to talk to you. It's uh, 959 on News Radio 949890 KDXU. News coming up in just a second. Again, uh, Rush Limbaugh following that number one talk show in America. Thanks for listening.